0: Welcome to New Books in Children's Literature. I'm host Susan Robb. And today we're talking with Jonathan Tadras, who's a professor of law at Georgia State University College of Law. And, uh, we're talking about his book, which is brand new from Oxford University Press, entitled Human Rights in Children's Literature, Imagination and the Narrative of Law, which was written, uh, in cooperation with Sarah um, Higginbotham, and uh, as I said, is just brand new this year. So, Jonathan, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: You know, there's a lot in here, and uh, and so and I have a lot of questions for you about, you know, both what people may be familiar with in the area of human rights, uh, as they relate to children and also about how you see that tying in with, uh, the stories that we've told children, uh, as they've grown up. So first of all, one of the points you made that I thought was really interesting, but true is that both lawyers and children's authors are storytellers. And, um, one thing that that you talk about right up front is you quote, um, a favorite of mine, but Horton the Elephant, and you say um, there, and, and later in the book, a person's a person no matter how small, and you said also in your preface that for you this quote um, was a very particular articulation of the foundational principles of human rights in terms of equality, non-discrimination. And, um, and then you also quote uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and talk about um, a quote that she gave that was very famous, where, after all, do human Rights begin in small places close to home so close and small they cannot be seen on maps of the world. And it talks about um, equal justice, equal opportunity, equal dignity without discrimination. So, so that brings up why did you feel it was important to write this book and why now?
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned the quote from Horton, Here's a Who. Um, That's one of my favorite quotes, the person's a person, no matter how small. And in many ways, that quote inspired the book. I have worked on children's rights issues, and in particular, issues of child exploitation for most of my career. And in recent years, I had moved. Towards focusing on prevention, how do we how do we stop this harm from occurring in the first place? And uh, a sort of foundational step or or a long-term step maybe um, is that we need to build more rights-respecting communities and cultures. Um, and so, in some respects, this was a natural next step to think about how how do children learn about their rights, how does the next generation or the younger generation learn about their rights, their responsibilities to respect the rights of others as well, um, and how do we build those communities. Um, but in other ways, this came out about somewhat accidentally. I. I was in the library doing research one day, and I needed a break. Uh, so I walked around the library, and I came across Horton Hears a Who, which I remembered from childhood. So I decided giving my, to give myself a break from uh, legal text and just flip through the pages, um, thinking it's a nostalgic moment. And then I came across that wonderful line, a person's a person, no matter how small. And in that context, it hit me that... I think Seuss just did a better job of explaining core principles of human rights than any legal philosopher had done in the last hundred years that I was aware of. Uh, So I started to pull other sources of uh, children's books and collect books over time and along the way met my co-author Sarah. Uh, and we decided to work together on an article and After that was published, we in two thousand and thirteen we felt there was a a lot more to say, and we wanted to add a an empirical component where we we interviewed and read to children and asked them what they thought of these books, um, because part of children 's rights is honoring. Um, what children think. Uh, And so we wanted to make sure that this wasn't just our interpretation. So ultimately that that led to this book project and Oxford was supportive. So uh, that's where we are today.
0: Now, another thing you say in here is you talk about imagination being central to the integration of children's literature and children's rights. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, imagination is really important uh, in childhood. Children... Are much more adept at um, moving from the real to the imaginative and back again than adults are. We tend to see them as sort of this bright line uh, and for children who are you know at different developmental stages, being able to go back and forth between the real and the imaginative world is important in the the literature context because they experience children 's stories in a really profound way they really immerse themselves in the stories and so that's one of the reasons we thought of, that children's literature can be such a powerful uh, medium for exposing children to human rights ideas and giving them a chance in a really safe space the, the world of literature to confront what is often um, some very difficult and challenging issues
0: the, the uh, another thing that you talk about here uh, is about primary rights and rights that are subsets of those rights for children. So can you outline for people who may not be as familiar with um, the Declaration on Children's Rights, what sort of an, a, a little bit of a structure of what the rights are that are talked about
1: yeah, so the Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, a, a treaty adopted in 1989, and uh, a treaty that is now the most widely accepted human rights treaty in history, every country in the world except one is is a party to it now, um, has um, four sort of foundational principles, and they are... Um, the, the right to life, survival, and development, that every child should be able to grow up, uh, have, have the necessary means to survive and develop to their full potential, that they should do this, that this should occur in a non-discriminatory manner, so this sort of non-discrimination, right to life, survival, and development. Third is that they have a right to participate in decisions that affect their lives. And then finally, um, that uh, the best interest of the child should be a primary consideration. And those four operating together sort of form the framework for children's rights. And then there are more specific provisions on access to education, access to healthcare, um, juvenile justice, prevention of torture, and other, other sort of more specific rights.
0: And my understanding is that participation is one that has become stressed, uh, maybe more now than before the importance of children having a voice, because, which is interesting to me because that ties in with how children come across in the way that you've talked about in children's literature. You talk about, you know, Peter Rabbit. You talk about the role of adults in telling children early on to sort of sit down and be quiet and now you know in this area too we're saying no we really want to know what your opinions are
1: yeah participation participation rights are are foundational to democracy they're important in human rights and they likewise are important for children's rights now because Children are at a different stage developmentally, and we're talking about a really diverse group. Five-year-olds and 15-year-olds are very different. Um, but the, the, the foundational idea in children's rights is that every child should have a right to participate in decisions that affect them, right to be heard, and that the weight given to that Opinion you know, depends on their age and maturity, but that they should at least, if they want, have that opportunity, uh, to participate. And I think you see that reflected in many children's stories, as you mentioned, you know, some of the earlier stories, Peter Rabbit, where the message really is to be, you know, children are to be seen and not heard. Um, and Peter Rabbit's a good example. Uh, no child or no child character in Peter Rabbit uh, speaks. Only adults have any voice at all. Uh, to uh, Horton Hears a Who, where um, the Who's, it's the smallest, smallest of the small that ultimately needs to be heard in order to save the Who's. It's JoJo with his yo-yo. Um, that's a really powerful message to children that... Every child counts, and no matter how small, and we see that in many other stories. There's still modern stories today that that tend towards seen and not heard, but we see an increasing number of stories today where uh, there's recognition that children have something important to say about their own life experience and what happens to them.
0: And do you think we're listening to children at younger ages than we used to?
1: I hope so. I, I really hope so. I, I don't know uh, with certainty. I think there's greater understanding in many circles that children have something important to say. In in, in certain ways, they are experts on their own lives, if you will. Um, that um, you know, they're learning, they're developing, they're testing thing, ideas. Not not every child's decision um, should be what's followed. Uh, in every instance. But I think we are learning to, in many contexts, that children have something important to say. Uh, And I think it's also important, particularly as children um, grow and develop and and age, to listen to children because increasingly uh, activities involving children often happen away from adults. And we see this with adolescents, that many of their activities and things that um, have significant influence on them happens in their peer group away from adults. And if we're not listening to children, we don't know what they're responding to. We don't know what's happening to them. So I think there's there's, there's real value in listening to children. And I, I think there we definitely see in some spaces um, a much greater willingness to be open to what children have to say.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because what I'm thinking as you're talking is about uh, Malala, for example. The, there's also the the change that children and and young adults have potential to have a voice that gets heard in a much broader context. Uh, now that we can communicate the way we do, and that it it's not a communication that has to be filtered through another place.
1: That's exactly right, and I, I think it, I think one of the important. Uh, findings in our project for this book, and I think more broadly is that children are engaging these issues they they 're confronting human rights issues in in their everyday lives they are um, thinking they 're confronting it in the children in children 's stories they read um, and the question isn 't so much as should we in teach children about human rights it's in some respects the question's really it's a re- they're already engaging these ideas do we as adults want to participate and facilitate this and support their learning and support their development uh, as rights respecting rights fulfilled individuals
0: and how do you see some of that manifested in your area in law well, the
1: law moves slowly sometimes, but I think there are opportunities uh, to, you know, uh, in terms of this, the, the book project I, and related ideas, uh, you know, human rights education is really critical. Uh, the research on human rights education shows um, quite clearly that if you teach kids about their rights in a rights-respecting way, um, they tend to link rights and responsibilities more. They tend to demonstrate the fundamentals uh, of good citizenship. Uh, and as compared with children who don't learn about human rights, those children tend to talk about rights as entitlements just for themselves. So human rights education is something that I think is really important, and law can uh, support the development of and the implementation, whether it's in schools or other venues, um, to teach children about human rights. Uh, that's one critical step with law. Uh, r- law can also help advance the rights of particular populations who, you know, historically have been left out of human rights discourses or marginalized in other
0: ways. Now, when you were going through uh, the literature, the body of work that you, that you were looking at, were there rights Uh, topics that you felt were particularly lacking in the canon?
1: Well, I tend to think, you know, as a teacher, I tend to think anything can be an opportunity for learning. So the the positive examples and the negative examples can both um, be the starting point for really wonderful conversations with children about rights. Uh, And we saw that when we read to children, uh, sometimes we read books where it was, less rights fulfilling and you'd hear young kids say, well, that's not fair. He's not, he shouldn't be allowed to do that. And, uh, you know, they're, you know they're, they're, they're equally effective in certain ways at teaching rights. But I think, you know, one area where we see a, still a great need for progress is uh, in the area, you know, on the issues of non-discrimination and equality. Uh, and, in particular, with diversity in children's literature, it continues to be like other other spaces in society uh, a place where there's a lack of diversity um, Only a small percentage of books, even books published in the last two or three years, only a small percentage um, have characters um, you know that are um, that are that look like people of color it's it's an overwhelmingly white. Um, industry still and I think there's a great need for diversity Uh uh and so I think that's one space where um, there are still significant challenges and we read more broadly on that chapter than we did in some of the other chapters to make sure that we were able to include some um, marginalized voices.
0: Now if you were designing a curriculum and I know that That can be different age brackets. But um, if you had to pick some number of books, you know, that would be on your core list or authors, uh, who would be on that or what would be on it?
1: Wow, that's a great question. There's so many books to choose from. Uh, You know, obviously, there's several Dr. Seuss books. Um, Yurtle the Turtle is a favorite one of mine. Um, you know, I think the you know Yurtle the Turtle, Horton Here's a Who, They they teach important participation rights. But I think one of the you know I also think click clack moo cows that type is a great example. One of the things I like about Yurtle the Turtle and click clack moo as one example, or as two examples, is when they teach about rights, they're not just teaching about. W- a a single child's right. So in Yurtle the Turtle, you know, if people remember the story, Yurtle wants to continually stack turtles higher and higher to rule, you know, a greater and greater kingdom. And it's Mac at the bottom of the stack, this tiny turtle who ultimately is asserting his rights, but he's not just asserting his rights. He, he always uses the collective, we are starving down we have rights he's always he's always talking not just about his rights but also about the rights of the other turtles and similarly in click clack moo um, that that's a story where the cows go on strike in the barn because they're cold at night and they want electric blankets um, but they don 't just advocate for themselves. It turns out the hens are also. Um, cold at night, and they too want electric blankets, so they advocate on behalf of others as well. And I, I think there's so many stories like that where you see child characters coming to the forefront and, uh, standing up not just for themselves, but standing up for others. And I think that's, those are a couple great examples, um, of, of what children's literature can teach. And the one other area I would say, um, is I think, Children's literature is wonderful in terms of helping kids explore identity. And, you know, a classic story there is the story of Ferdinand. Um, He's the bull who didn't want to fight, although he may be the biggest, strongest bull. He just doesn't want to fight. And um, when we read that to younger kids as well as adolescents, um, they saw that very clearly as an identity rights book, being able to be who who you are, being true to yourself. So I think there, the story of Ferdinand, and there are lots of other books that engage uh, children about identity rights, and I think those are really important as well. You know, adolescence is a critical stage for uh, identity formation, um, so I think that's a great area for children's literature.
0: Now another thing you brought up, and I was laughing when I saw it, because it is a, a classic aspect that people who uh, work in children's literature absolutely know, is uh, the role of adults in in relation to childrens uh, or to, to children. And so often in uh, children's literature, uh, it's very convenient to have children as abandoned or orphaned, or we could think of many, many examples of all of that. Uh, but you talk about that. You talk about the role of adults and, uh, and children having a voice. So what's, what's your feeling about that?
1: Yeah, we found that, you know, the adults, you know, fall uh, broadly speaking into three categories. And you're absolutely right. In many, many stories, it's, you know, something tragic happens at the opening to the parents. And that in a sense, you know, enables the child character to be the protagonist and not simply subsumed within the family. But so we see in children's literature, certainly many, Adult characters who are the perpetrators—they're the human rights violators—and and and we also see wonderful examples from Horton the elephant to um, to the Harry Potter stories. We see great examples of human rights protectors and those who advocate. On behalf of children but for me one of the most interesting group the, it's that the third group that we sort of explored was particularly interesting they're the sort of largely absent or in some cases incompetent uh, parents adults who um, in some cases are, lar- are like that throughout the story and in other cases and other stories they have this wonderful growth um, during the story uh, as the, as the narrative unfolds. We see them um, starting out incompetent and not really understanding or being engaged in the world of children and then over time. Uh, coming to understand, in a sense, they've matured enough to understand um, the world of children and really support children in a much, much more rights-fulfilling way. And, you know, the classic example of that is the Little Prince, where it's the pilot who ultimately needs to sort of grow up to the level of the Little Prince and sort of return to his childhood to to better understand um, smaller beings, if you will.
0: Now, another thing I noticed is, uh, you were talking about different, uh, categories where, where books fell in, or characters in some cases, fell in to different aspects of the right. So you have, um, in terms of, you know, good, evil kind of, um, adults, you have like Cruella de Vil and you have the White Witch in, in Narnia, the, uh, Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. And then on the other side, you talked about Horton, uh, Mary Poppins, like that. Um, and then it, you were talking about surrogates, adults who were surrogates, like in Charlotte's Web and in A Wrinkle in Time. Um, but then in some of the other areas, um, you talked about I, I was interested to find, for example, Curious George related to criminal justice and Dr. DeSoto and Corduroy in, in relation to health and then uh, Rumple Stilskin completely appropriately tied in with exploitation. So, um, so can, can you talk a little bit about some of those different characters and how they exemplify the things that you think are important to share with children?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as you were talking about different stories, I have this smile on my face because I think that's one of the wonderful things about this project uh, and why I'm so excited about it is that, uh, you know, you, it reminds us of the stories we read as children, the stories we read to or have read to our children now. And, um, and, And what's really exciting, I think, is to see that, you know, the interpretations that we had, um, often um, it was affirming to talk to children and hear that they had the exact same interpretations. But sometimes they saw something different, and they saw something different. We were in, when we read in small groups, sometimes the children would dispute, you know, amongst themselves, no, this really meant something positive. No, it didn't. And Curious George is a good example of that. And um, in the sort of original Curious George, he, he, he sees the man with the yellow hat dialing a telephone back in the days when <laughs> when you know telephone's plugged into the wall and things like that um he so he's dialing and he does what any child does he just mimics an adult and that's how they learn and so he dials 1234567 and somehow in the world of curious george that connects to the fire department they run out thinking it's a fire and they find quote unquote only a naughty monkey uh and they have to they say we have to lock you up and throw you in jail and that's what they do and the next next image he's Um, sitting there looking very sad in this sort of gray, you know, cinder block prison with mice in one corner. And, um, you know, it's really... You know, for me, that's sort of you know when we think about juvenile justice and sort of you know, punishment of children for wrongdoing, um, that you know I find not particularly helpful. Never mind, due process rights and things like that. Um, you know, they never really explained to curious George what he did wrong so he can learn and um, but and when we read to uh, a group of students uh, about, you know, we'd say, so what did you think of the story? And, you know, that was a really, um, fun day because they, they remembered reading it when they were younger and this was a little bit older kids. Um, and they said, you know, well, why didn't they just give him time out? You know, that seems unfair. Why did they put him in jail? You know, all he was doing was doing what the, what the man with the yellow hat did. Um, and why is he treated differently and punished for that? um and then there was one student who eventually chimed in and said well you know he's just a silly monkey this you know just a silly story it's nothing more and so you know there are different interpretations um and i what well, what i hope with this project really is just to start conversations um i think it's important that children learn about their own rights and the, their responsibility to respect the rights of others and i think children's literature, doing it through children's literature and having those dialogue through children's literature is meeting children where they are and with the materials that they're excited about. And, and I imagine we'll get different interpretations uh, and that's okay because um, respecting their opinion is part of um, fulfilling their rights. <laughs>
0: And what have you seen in or heard in the conversations in terms of the connection between reading stories and fostering empathy?
1: Yeah, so there's pretty good evidence now that reading uh, does, in fact, foster empathy and make one more empath- empathetic. And um, And I think that... That makes sense. I mean, reading, and, and we talked earlier about imagination, reading transports all of us and particularly young, younger uh, individuals and children. It transports them and you're able to be introduced to characters who may look different from you. You're able to understand what a character feels. I think children feel very, when they see Curious George, f- Sitting in jail, very looking very sad. They really feel that. Um, that's not. They're not being told that. They can experience that. And and, Zeus is similar in the sense that you know, Seuss had this mandate. Nothing, nothing can be in the text that isn't in the pictures, so that even the pre-reading child can follow along, and they're in fact ahead because they're absorbing what's in the picture and they're experiencing it. Um, so, um, you know, the the research shows that uh, reading uh, fosters empathy, and when we think about it, when we see kids reading, we see how they talk about the stories, it's no surprise. They really immerse themselves in these characters, and they learn about a world beyond their bedroom or their home or their classroom, uh, and they, you know, it makes sense that they develop greater empathy for others. <laughs>
0: And many of the issues uh, raised in the book have been in the news uh, this election. I mean, things like respecting others, uh, language, uh, the idea of identity and citizenship. And what are your thoughts about this in the context of teaching children about rights?
1: Well, I think some of the rhetoric of the current campaign has made it challenging to say the least um, in terms of using these you know I think I know a number of teachers who have always used um, the election as um, a a starting point for a number of conversations and the rhetoric has has become so awful and offensive in many instances that it becomes hard for them to use that in the classroom and you know there was a story just in the last week showing that this is having an effect on classroom behavior on bullying um, and anecdotally children teachers are reporting that um, bullying has increased in their classroom um, in and as they su- suspect in part because they're they're seeing adults model this i think if anything this You know, the the rhetoric and the discourse today in politics um, is um, sort of a call for human rights education. We need to introduce children and adolescents to these ideas in a rights-respecting way, you know, teach them not only about their own rights, but also about their responsibilities to respect the rights of others. And that can start earlier. There's some wonderful classroom examples of projects that have been done in various countries where kids as young as four or five, you you may not talk about it as technical human rights law, but you can talk about the principles of human rights and young kids can understand what's fair, what's just, and what's unfair. Um, And it may be that, um, I'm limiting this too much, and that human rights education, in light of what some of the adults in the uh, on the campaign trail are saying human rights education should probably not be limited to children, but maybe um, all of us as adults should should um, under should, should go through a human rights education course as well.
0: figure it couldn't hurt huh um, and it, um, I guess with that, um, are there some particular, um, books that jumped out at you that if you, if, if a teacher was looking for something, for example, that might help address things like rhetoric and language, are there, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are there, uh, some things you came across that particularly address that?
1: you know we mentioned a, uh, there are a number of books you know we were sort of cautious about you know is this a, is this the time to do a recommended list uh, you know both sarah and i had um our personal favorites of course um but we sort of stopped short of doing a recommended list um i think that you know this can be addressed on a number of levels take the issue of diversity right so there there are certain books that um more clearly um state are, are sort of a statement or a lesson about diversity and the importance of diversity? Um, I think one of the things that that children respond to is when the story is foregrounded, when it's not one of those really obvious hit you over the head head lessons dressed up as a children's story, but it's really a story and and that's where I think something like the story of Ferdinand and click clack Moo and others um, you know. Uh, those are are more effective because the the story engages kids and then they learn. I think the other thing about, you know, staying on the point about diversity is sometimes it's not even that the story has to have the lesson of diversity. Um, And we can think of the classic um, snowy Day, which is this story, you know, Peter goes goes out to play in the snow and Peter's a small African-American, young African-American boy. And the story makes no comment on. There's nothing, nothing relevant to the story uh, about his uh, skin color. Um, It's just you know there's a character who's who's African American, right? And and I think there are a lot of stories that you know they're not. There need to be more, but there are good examples of stories like that where. this is just part of the fabric of life and I think those stories are important well as well so that we don't think that okay now we're going to read the story where they're Characters who are people of color and this is the story about diversity, but no, like many of the stories we read, we see children who, who look like different people from around the world and that's just an ordinary day and sort of normalizing div- diversity instead of making deser- diversity this sort of side lesson. I think sometimes just incorporating it as part of the everyday fabric is what's important
0: yeah and it's and another thought that I had um is that also there's a whole other aspect of children's literature, a whole other portion of non fiction that that brings out the stories uh of things that have happened over time. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Marilyn Nelson's book Aretha for Emmett Till or Brave Girl, which uh, talks about the immigrant story and the um, labor protest and uh, so different things like that. And I, I think that um, there are a lot of different ways to come at it
1: right and there um you know stories some really wonderful books about um the internment camps around world war 2 um john lewis uh, you know who happens to be my congressman but um was sort of uh, far more important one of the sort of great civil rights leaders and longtime congressman has written a graphic novel march um that um, is his story and so there there are many of those uh, stories where um, it is a sort of based on a true story or, in fact, nonfiction, but done in a um, child friendly uh, format. And I think those are those are really important as well.
0: Mm-hmm. What about uh, organizations uh, that parents could turn to or teachers could turn to if they either want to learn more or perhaps um, get involved with human rights for children?
1: Um, Well, I I tend tend to think of that really broadly. So the first thing I would wonder is if they are um, interested in particular issues. Um, There's human rights education associates, um, does human rights education training, and that might be of interest to people who are wanting to um, draw upon uh, lessons uh, and, and curriculum on this topic. And there's also um, wonderful materials uh, that UNICEF has created on child-friendly versions of the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is the human rights treaty we talked about earlier, and lesson plans for different age group kids. Um, so those are some great materials. Um, I'm also, uh, one, you know, I'm thinking about sort of follow-on projects to this book. There are a couple of different things I'm doing, and one of the things that I'm trying to do on my website is pull together resources about human rights and children's literature and um, sort of very early stages now, but also going to have teaching materials. And there's a space where I'll uh, expect to do um, recommended book lists, uh And so those are you know that's an opportunity if people want to take a look at my website and there's a space where people can suggest ideas if they have um have ideas for favorite books that engage human rights
0: views and then what about children themselves uh I mean there I know Amnesty International, but are there other kinds of things that uh if if someone has a, a child that is interested in getting involved in human rights, either here or internationally, where they could um, go to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think UNICEF's one starting point in terms of connecting with organizations. Um, There are a lot of human. The U.S. Human Rights Network, which um, has offices here in Atlanta, Uh, there, as you mentioned, Amnesty has some um, has sort of local chapters that are both university level and young high school level groups as well. Um, There are lots of opportunities. You know, different organizations, um, uh, I work, I I serve on the board of advisors of ECPAT USA, which is Ending Child Prostitution and Trafficking, an organization that works to stop child trafficking in the U.S. And they, from time to time, have projects that engage um, young people as well. So a lot of the organizations that may not sort of formally have a youth participation component, um, look to do outreach on a regular basis and uh, I think would welcome uh, that participation.
0: So, and then uh, tied in with that, I was going to ask you how you thought your book might be used, where, you know, where you've been seeing it used and where you'd like to see it.
1: Well, you know, the starting point is sort of a modest goal. I just want people. You know, I'd love to have people see the book and read the book, and then just start start a conversation with the people in their communities. I we I really hope, and I've been excited that um, so far um, we are reaching teachers, and um, the book's now in paperback, and that um, will be helpful to teachers. I know teachers have sort of um, limited resources to, uh, and uh, in many instances. So um, I'm excited to reach teachers. I, you know, I heard from, I had a conversation with uh, a fifth grade art teacher in Louisiana who was excited about the book and thinking about how can I use some of the ideas to teach uh, human rights through the arts um, and I think that, you know, we often think about human rights. If we're thinking about school curriculum and school subjects, we often think, oh, you have to teach human rights as, you know, civil rights through your social studies class. And I think, um, you know, our project on children's literature shows that you could teach human rights through an English class, you could teach human rights through a math class. There, there's any subject can be this sort of basis for engaging children on these ideas uh, and ultimately empowering them in sort of really important ways to not only to, you know, exercise their rights, but to help advocate for the rights of others.
0: So I guess, um, well, first I wanted to uh, thank you for for both talking about this, but also about the work that you did. I know, you know, looking at, at the literature in the context of all of this was a, very big project. And, um, what I'm hoping is that it'll give people ideas so that, uh, people who do care about this, which is hopefully most of us or all of us, <laughs> um, can move the conversation forward in a lot of different ways and work together because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it's a, it's a critical thing, not just in this country, but abroad. Um so um so thank you for talking about all of this.
1: Thank you so much. I you know I'm I'm excited about sort of and now see this book as sort of the first step in a much longer term project. So I'd love to hear from individuals. I am I'm, I'm sort of in the early stages of a project on global perspectives on children's stories, both oral and written story and telling traditions. So I'm excited and I you know, would love to hear from individuals who are thinking about these ideas or want to think about these ideas.
0: Oh, good. So that leads me to my next question is where can people find you? What website or how best for them to get in touch with you?
1: Sure. The easiest way to get in touch with me uh, is my website, com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-O-D-R-E-S.com. Um, I'm also easy to find I'm at Georgia State University's law school that's where I teach so um, I'm, I can e- I'm the only Jonathan on faculty so if you can't even remember my last name and you, but you remember Georgia State University College of Law and Jonathan then you can find me easily and you can email me uh, I'm happy to hear from people in any way Twitter um, you know I, these conversations really excite me and I, I love hearing what ideas people have so um, I welcome any feedback
0: Well, thanks, Jonathan. I'm looking forward to you and I meeting soon, too. We're going to be meeting around human rights as well. Um, But thank you for talking with me about all of this. And, um, you know, look forward to hearing more about what you're doing in this. Uh, So,
1: Thank you so much, Susan. I really appreciate it.